We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, a crossover pod for you on Christmas Eve, because frankly, you're going to have time over the holiday season, so we need to make something somewhat evergreen so you'll have time to listen to it. Get away from your family and just go bugger off and listen to some podcasts. I mean, that's what I'm probably going to be doing over most of the holidays anyway. And I got some driving to do, so I'll listen to that. So today's show is a two-parter. Part one will appear on the Pat Mayo Experience feed. If you want to get part two of this show, you can go to the TakeCast feed with Davis Maddock uh, and download that on Christmas Day. You can find the link to subscribe to the TakeCast in the comment section of this video or podcast. And when I say video, it's not actually on video. I'll release it on YouTube, but it's just going to be audio only with like a still graphic up there. But if you want to get into a draw for 20 DK dollars on the video feed, smash the like button for the episode. Leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section. And I don't know, Davis, what do you think? What's a good giveaway? Uh, what you what you wanted for Christmas versus what you got for Christmas. I mean, that really pertains to like eight year olds. Dude, you don't want things for Christmas? I have things I would like to be given. I, I honestly, my wife asked me, and I don't know what to ask for. That sounds honestly, that really does sound like a like a like a one percenter problem, Pat. It's not really. It's just like we have the kid. Like, just spend the money on the kid. Yeah, I mean, I guess I don't have I don't have kids, so I guess I guess I guess if I had a kid, I would probably feel more selfish about wanting things for you know myself. But I mean, I guess that's a pretty good giveaway. Or you can even retroactively put it in what's something you wanted as a kid and didn't get. Uh, oh, that's actually better because people will have very strong takes on that. 
So there, there's the giveaway, the $20 giveaway. If you want to get into a draw for $75 DK, however, subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast. Leave a five-star review up there along with your DraftKings handle and something you like about the show. Boom, you'll be in that draw for $75 DK. Um, so this show is going to be way different than most of the other shows uh, that people are used to consuming from the Pat Mayo Experience feed. More like the ones when I, I appear on your show all the time. So this one's going to be kind of like that, where we just talk about stuff. Uh, some of it sports related, a lot of it not sports related. But I, I think that's how we're going to go. Yeah, we just cut. This is uh, if you're if you're like looking for like Christmas Day NBA DFS picks, uh, we, we don't have that for you here. No, but we need to you know, have content out that we can record way ahead of time so we have fresh content coming out over Christmas. That leads me to my, my first thing and being a content creator. Do you think that most content creators think about this stuff? So the, what you get is you get the people who are so successful that it that it literally doesn't matter. So you get like the, like the BS report is not going to have an episode that comes out on christmas eve right i don't know uh, that. so could, th- there might be one i mean maybe there would be one but i i would think that probably if there was one i don't know if simmons is thinking about that maybe maybe you know one of the the ringer assistants or whatever or their business strategist uh, is thinking about it but i would say the average person who is doing podcasting and and whatnot no they're they're not trying to get episodes out on days where no one else is getting podcasts out and that is based on how many podcasts i listen to uh and some it's just very clear which ones of them have like a very good strategy and which ones do not well the the problem is i think the people when they look at the metrics and even i see this like i do pretty well in the dead periods like i always have and just being in canada this really helps me out because i can always like really hammer home stuff on american holidays with new content because obviously i'm not on holiday so i can have fresh content while everyone is out at you know their cottage or with their family or eating thanksgiving dinner whatever it might be but the numbers themselves just they're not as high as like a regular week anyway just because so few people are you know consuming podcasts on christmas day that kind of thing like it's just you're if you know out of a hundred people who would normally consume your podcast maybe only like 60 would be actively looking for new stuff that day but i think you do appease the market doing that and i think when like bigger places look at the overall numbers like well numbers are down on that day anyway let's not do it but i think it's a good like it's one of these like i don't know i want to say extra two percent but i don't think we're allowed to talk about like jonah carey anymore but uh it's one of those like little tricks that you know if you're an underdog or you're a smaller thing like stuff like that really goes a long way Oh, definitely. I mean, so in terms of the metrics for the take cast, uh, what what I found is that actually my podcasts that I'm able to get out on those days do better. But that's because I think I have less of the boomer generation. Like, I think like the reason why like a parent wouldn't be able to listen to a podcast on a holiday is they're rounding kids up, they're cooking dinner, they're doing whatever. And I think that just less of that audience overall is listening to my podcast. And I think I I have more of the of the youngs who are listening to my show and you know, they have truly nothing to do on those holidays. So yeah. I think, I think that's why mine would do better. I can see that. You, you don't think that there's a large, uh, there's a large old population for your, your mainly like crypto and hot socialist take podcast. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's actually funny when boomers do find the show. Some sometimes the boomers like it. Like, uh, like I I do get I get like you know random feedback from fifty five year old dudes with Twitter accounts who like it. But you know, we we uh, we, I I do tend to I do tend to lose the greatest generation with uh with some of the takes. I actually like you talk about so much different stuff on your show that I just kind of like listening to it because I'm old now. And this was actually a topic I was going to bring up is that like I'm just sort of out on what happens in like actual young people, popular culture, despite the fact that I'm not very old, but I've now entered the phase of my life where I'm out of touch with things and it kind of sucks. I assume that like when my kids get to be like eight, nine and ten, just living through them and seeing what they're into will bring me back into that loop. It's sort of cyclical. And then I'll slowly phase out of again uh but like well you're gonna think it's so stupid you're gonna think the stuff that your kids like is so dumb oh yeah absolutely i mean i think that stuff like you like is dumb so i can't imagine i mean i think that i i actually think that stuff i like is dumb because i like i i actually so i'm 27 and like i like i like things that like my other 27 year old friends are like that's stupid like that is that's too young for you like what like a lot of the music I listen to is like much more like uh like nineteen year old like style music and also I uh no one never knows this because I I I normally throw a different something on like a, a hoodie or something to do shows but like literally all I wear is like rap music t shirts that I bought at concerts that's like that's my wardrobe like a hundred percent of the time that's amazing I it's like I like. I got rid of a bunch of clothes that I don't like and don't wear like a bunch of stuff I wore when I was in college and I uh, just kind of cleared out my closet, but I've, I've gone to all these shows and I have all these shirts. So I'm like, well, I'm going to, I bought them. I'm going to wear them. Yeah. I used to do that too. When I was, when I was a young man in that time, but I, right. gave, I gave up on music in like 2004. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I, I guess I don't, uh, I don't track it quite as obsessively, but it's very easy with, the algorithmic learning from Apple music, they know exactly what I want to listen to. So like when I go to like the for you tab and there's new music and it shows up and I play it, I like, I would say seven out of 10 times. I like it. Hmm. Interesting. Do you ever look at the analytics for your podcast? Uh, I do. I, I mean, yeah, obviously I do, especially I was looking at it, um, during the, uh, the, the layered cast rise. I, I was looking at it pretty closely. Well, do you like, do you look at like average age, that kind of thing? Like how people actually listen to it? So I, I actually think that I don't have access to that. That's a bummer. I yeah. I, oh, I think that, I think someone at my company does, but I don't think I do, or I'd have to find it. The, the problem is I don't know how accurate this stuff is because like Apple, Apple's going to be the largest platform that people listen to podcasts on to begin right just because people are in I mean people own iPhones for one thing not like everybody but people who would listen to not not Peter Overs at no that's true I thought he was switching I think he he bought like an old 5c like a pink 5c that uh that he's got just uh just for like a Twitter joke basically and so he can like iMessage with you yeah I guess I he wants to he wants to get in the group chat with me and Laird there you go. I mean, and if you're ever going to communicate with anyone internationally, uh, iPhones is pretty good because you don't get charged right. for text and then or you have to use WhatsApp and then it's completely different. But I'm just looking at the demographic breakdowns right now. And if this is to be believed that 30, 
75% of my audience is between 25 and 34, where I would fall into in that demographic and you would. But also 35% is between 35 and 44, which I guess makes sense because I do like a gambling and daily fantasy type show that those people would be far more into it than people like 18 to 24, which only represents like 3% of my audience. And people who don't have any money. I guess so, yeah. Like, when you look at, like, the... I mean, I, I'm i very dubious of, like, the household earning income demographics that come in, but it does seem yeah. like your average daily fantasy player. And where I cover golf, I think this skews it a lot as well because, frankly, people who have money like golf, that's just kind of mm-hmm. goes hand in hand. It'd be like if I did a polo podcast, I would assume that the people listening to it were all rich people. <laughs> but... <laughs> Maybe that's an untapped market. You can get some great sponsorships. I mean, I, I, is there, I bet, is there even a polo podcast? I'm sure there is. Every once in a while, you know, I just scroll through iTunes and just see like, oh, okay, what, what shows are doing well? Like, and uh, one of the ones that I'm always flummoxed by is, is there is, there are running podcasts. What, what happens on a running podcast? Like, I've just- never, I could never bring myself to listen, but I just, I, I, I couldn't imagine what it actually is. I assume, like, if it was me and I wanted to go get a running podcast, because I've actually, like, designed this for myself uh, in my phone, that I have, like, certain, like, if I go for a run on a treadmill or I'm going for a run outdoors, that I kind of have a, I've synced a playlist to how I want to run with specific songs that, like, get fired up at some points, go down at some points. I would think that if you could pay for that service, or that was, like, the podcast, like, hey, here are 10 great songs if you want to go running for 35 minutes, because this can fill out your entire time. Because I can't run to podcasts. I can work out to podcasts. I can lift. I can do the stairs, do anything like that. I can do core. But if I'm running, I need to have music. You need music. I I can't run without it. Yeah, no, I, I agree. So that's what I, cause I, I think the purpose of the running podcast is not to compliment the running. I think it's to talk about running. Right. I would, I would really throw shade at that, but like we talk about fantasy football. So like, what are we doing? Yeah. It's just, it's just that I don't, uh, I can't so much imagine wanting to do that, but I guess there are, there are many people out there that think our podcasts are stupid and they can't imagine doing it either. Yeah, there are polo podcasts. There's a water polo podcast it's called Talking Water Polo with the Planet. Is there is there professional water polo? I doubt it. I mean, no. I mean, I don't doubt that. There probably is somewhere. And you can probably bet on it and it's probably rigged. Like uh like second tier soccer or like Filipino basketball? Yeah. Oh yeah. Where Manny Pacquiao's uh, team just always wins. <laughs> There is professional water polo. Sweet. Water polo seems really hard. I mean, just like think of how ripped you would be if you did that. Well, think of like think of like how the crazy shape you'd be in. I, I want to get back to content creation in a sec, but like what do you think the hardest sports are? Like physically. Like physically in terms of the skill that it takes or in terms of the condition your body has to be in? A bit of both. Like I would think that water polo would be near the top. Because it requires I think the, endurance, it requires, it requires swimming, it requires coordination to like catch stuff, there's strategy to it. Like it just seems very exhausting. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I think like obviously like marathoning or whatever or like Iron Manning. Yeah, like, I, I think the triathletes would be probably the best. Like, is that would that be considered like the best? Like, if you were to run a best athletes competition, would it be a triathlete? Yeah, probably. Or 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 uh, 
Heck, mm, yeah, no, probably. Or like when Bruce. I don't Jenner think you can make an argument for any American sport. Like I, I just don't. I don't think it comes close. No, but like I guess like decathlon was always sort of like when Bruce Jenner won the decathlon, he was like the world's greatest athlete. I guess that's probably the best way to measure all the different skills of all the different sports. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. But like 100 meter dash, fastest man in the world, sure. And it's hard to be the fastest man in the world, but it's not like exhausting like water polo would be where you're just treading water. Yeah. So it's not hard to shoot three pointers either. No, but for some someone out there right now is arguing like basketball or, or being like a linebacker or something and like that's stupid. I mean, those things are hard to do. You can't just be. Yeah, they're just not as hard. Yeah, I would think so, at least. But anyway, back to content creation for a second. If you were starting out right now and you wanted to get into it, what tips would you have for people, do you think? Because I had, I was thinking about this the other day because people ask me it all the time and I always just tell people not not to do it. Like, are are you willing to be paid nothing just to kind of do stuff? And like repetition, developing a schedule where things always come out uh, on the same time, you get yourself into a pattern, you condition your audience to know when stuff comes out. Like that sort of thing is really key because uh, it just keeps the constant flow of stuff moving. If you release one show on a Tuesday and then nothing comes out for two weeks, then you release three shows, then nothing for a month. Like people aren't going to find you. Like people aren't going to come back to that knowing that it's not going to come out. Now, if you did one every Monday at noon and that's when it always came out, people would be like, oh, Monday at noon. I know this show is coming out. So there's a level of like Pavlovian conditioning that you can put into people with that. But the other one would be I and this sucks for anyone who wants to be in content creation or even and this doesn't just mean like sports like we do. I think it's for anything that if you get into like digital content creation would be you probably have to work 365 days a year. Not like 18 hours every day, but something every day. You got to do something every day. Yeah. I think that's Yeah, I, I would completely is. agree with that. And I would also tell people to have something like try and try and double count your work. So like if you're doing a podcast, also put it on YouTube or or what actually what actually I would tell someone is is just start streaming whether it be on on Twitch or on Mixer or whatever do it on a stream promote the stream and then for people who are you know not available not watching the stream whatever uh put that out as a podcast put it on YouTube or whatever I would I would try and double count the work as much as possible that would be the the number one thing oh so you're you're taking the Pat Mayo playbook <laughs> Uh, actually, I mean, yeah, you do that with the YouTube show and with the podcast, but I, I actually am more thinking about like a lot of like the FIFA YouTubers that I watch and some of them don't do that. Some of them stream and then they don't reuse that content and they, they will go and like create like another video. And I'm like, dude, that's, that's just very stupid of you to be doing that when you could just be doing both at the same time. Yeah. Understanding the efficiency of your work. Like if I, 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 we stream sometimes we're actually up to like two a week just because then it's done. We don't have to go edit it. We don't have to export it. We don't have to upload it. Like I think that people for people don't realize that if I'm recording in an hour and a half show, like that show's not just done the moment we stop recording, we have to go process the audio. If there's a mistake in a graphic, I mean the, the mistakes that people find in my show on the graphics are usually on the live shows. Cause we'll fix them if we do everything in post-production, but between like transferring a card, over and editing it and sound mixing it and adding the graphics and exporting and uploading it an hour and a half show really takes like six hours to create or more and that's if we don't right yeah we like the moment we finish we start doing that and don't stop until 
it's done. Uh, and that's the other thing too. Like there's no, there's no amount of work in a day that you're ever going to be able to finish. So you need to be able to prioritize what's meaningful to you. Like I know a lot of people, especially in the video business and like, I, I'm glad Paul is like this because Paul's my producer. People don't know. So Paul is very meticulous when it comes to this stuff. And like we do 400 video shows a year. It's just like, yeah, there's going to be mistakes. Like we just have to live with it and move on. Like if we start obsessing over like this three second stretch in a show that's two hours long and we spend two hours on it, like that's a very poor allocation of time. And that's what people really focus on when they first start out. And I think that really cripples them and makes them not want to do more. Yeah, just if I mean, if you're trying to if you're trying to pick every knit, if you're if if every amount of content you do, you're trying to be perfect. I like I don't know. You probably will just never get there because it's just it's not possible. No, and I, I think that there are like especially like digital wise, people know that like if it, if we worked at ESPN for example, I think it would be it would just be different because there would be like fourteen people working on the show and like yeah, I mean there would be there would be someone's job to pick the knits for you. Yeah, like, like the, that's just how it is. Yeah, and that was one of the things we ran into at Fantasy for a while too. Like, uh, people think like we oh Fantasy Sports Network, it was a TV network and all this stuff. But like my show that I produced, I actually have more help now because Paul works on my show. There, it was just me. So if there was a mistake right. in a graphic, like I, I don't have time to go back and fix this. Like it's in there. Like I live with it. And people get really triggered about stuff like that. It's strange. I mean, people get really triggered about anything. But like they, they, they love that. Like it's always really weird things. Like one of the hardest things that we do is produce those graphics for the show that like when me and you were doing the show and they come on, Paul puts them up on the screen. Like those take a really long time to do and not because they're hard to do, but you have to copy the player's name in. you have to cop- copy their matchup in or like what their ranking is. Like sometimes the matchup gets fucked up. <laughs> like it just does. There's 500 right, people yeah. you're inputting into a graphic. Yeah. And that's just, uh, I mean, that's just the way it goes. But at bigger companies, like you would have a font director that would come by and inspect every single one of those. And sometimes, even yeah, they'd have a, they'd have a, a font director, a color graph, like a specialist on the color, like just all sorts of stuff. Yeah, which is honestly a complete waste of time and a waste of money. Well, I mean, if, I mean, if you're ESPN, though, and you have the money and, and you know people are going to be looking over with a fine tooth comb. I mean, yeah, like I, there's a reason for those people to have those jobs. I get that's the case, though, but you can't like cry poor that you don't make money. And then you're just like, it's I, I hate to say this because I have a lot of friends who are cameramen. But like outside of live sports, any sort of studio show, unless you're really trying to make like a, a visual impact, like I don't understand the need for cameramen to exist. You can yeah, just uh, just get it. Just find a tripod, right? Find a tripod, lock it off, and you could have the person who's, like, switching the show use, like, we have remotes on our cameras that Paul doesn't even need to get up from behind his computer. He can just adjust the focus, adjust, like, he can move the camera left or right, and he can focus in and out and zoom in and out from a remote from behind. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, I mean, I guess the biggest thing that when it would come down to it as it pertains to content creation is like if you're a host of something like you and I are just being a host isn't good enough to be successful, I think. No, you need to have um, I, I mean, the number one thing in, in and this goes in any field. I mean, you could be you could be looking for advice about your career in 
I'm just anything dude like waste management it like who you know is pretty much always going to be more important than how good you are unless you're in something that is strictly merit-based like like sports or whatever but like being good at networking being good at creating connections with people and being able to like connect also connect with the people who are engaging with your product on like social media and stuff like that stuff in general is to me is going to be more important I, yeah, I mean, there's. I didn't even really consider that part of it. I was just thinking, like, the only reason that I had a show to begin with, because I had the technical capability, like the trade of knowing how to put all this stuff together, like knowing what, knowing how to use a camera, knowing how to edit a show, knowing what programs I need to use, knowing what cords to buy to hook that up. Like that stuff is really overwhelming to people, and that's that's sort of the loss. Yeah, that's part. true. And it just like if you have a shitty sounding podcast then no one's going to listen to it because it sounds like shit. That, I mean, that is, uh, I've definitely listened to, like tried to listen to some podcasts, but they sound too gross and you're just, and I'm, I'm just out. So yeah, that's a real thing. And I, I mean, it's hard. I mean, basically if you do want to do that, just go to like YouTube, you can basically YouTube anything, which is kind of awesome. I once changed right. a window in my car. Uh, like my car window, just like it, it wouldn't go all the way up. Like something happened inside the door and I just YouTube how to fix my car window. And you can do that. You can do that with anything. You, how, how to set up a podcast studio, how to set up a video podcast studio. How do I video edit something? What programs do I need? Like all that stuff is there. People is on YouTube. People yeah. Just don't utilize it. Yeah, that's I mean, it's it's crazy, but it's true. Yeah, they, they it's a resource that's out there and people just ignore it. Hmm. Anything else on content creation? I mean, I, I I guess that the the number one thing you would have to ask yourself if that's something you want to do is why you want to do it and what like the use case of your content would be. Like, why are you starting the thing? Is it is it an advertising arm for something else? Do you think that there's not a space that is filled that your that your content would fill? Like, like what what would you if you if you got to pitch a billionaire on on funding your content, what would your pitch be? And then like try and sell that pitch to yourself. And like if you don't believe in it, like if there if there's not a real use for your content, then what's the point? I suppose. But like if you had to pitch yourself on that, what do you think your pitch would be for you? I mean, if I got to pitch, if I got to pitch someone with with a ton of money, I would say that I I want to make the bs report but for millennials that that would be my that would be my elevator pitch so like ringer for millennials yeah like and like the written content and stuff on the ringer is good but the bs report is uh, no one gets better guests than bill simmons literally no podcast gets better guests than him and i think he's great i think he does great radio whatever but he's a 50 year old dude and they're just as only like just as a 50 year old man there's only so many directions you can take a podcast right I, so that that would be my pitch yeah i think that's a that is a very solid pitch i would say something sort of along the same lines but just mainly focusing on hobbies niche niche things but in an entertaining way. And that's what I try to do with my stuff, but I just want to do it on a larger scale. I try to find more, not necessarily like-minded people, but at least similar vibe to me. Like that's always been, I've found to be my biggest problem uh, in finding like a co-host or regular guest. That's why I rotate through so many regular guests is that I need to sort of be on the, like we need to have sort of the same vibe. Like, yeah. I like I could probably get Dink on to do the DraftKings show all the time. I mean, he's a busy man, but like 
but I have you on instead. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean Dinkle Dinkle come on and he will he just he knows all the decimals, but like yeah, it's just like that's his thing and you guys are not always on the same wavelength with that. Yeah, and like Leone is somewhere in the middle with you guys and me and you are very similar. We can just kind of go back and forth and just shoot the shit. But the information would be better, I think, if Drew was doing it. <laughs> uh yes, I can confirm that the information would be better if Drew was doing it versus me doing it 100%. Yeah. But I think that the show succeeds more when it's me and you, which is a really strange balance to try to have. Yeah, I mean, I do. I believe that people would, if if they have the choice between being entertained and getting some good info or getting the absolute best information that still doesn't guarantee a winning week or anything like that, but it being more of a boring show, they would for sure take the less information more entertainment yeah because i think that if people are truly searching for like legitimate advice whether it be on and just like an hour realm whether it be about daily fantasy whether it be about sports gambling season-long fantasy like they probably pay for a service someone yeah they pay someone or they have a source that they go to that has reliable information they can trust that or if they pay for it it's like oh here's written content that explains what's going on or like at daily roto you guys have like tools and optimizers that kind of thing do you like give you projections and legitimate information if you're coming to me like you just want to kind of kill time and have a laugh (laughs) yeah hunter i mean yeah like people who want very serious stuff they like they they are they're paying they're paying someone to do like projections and numbers for them. Yeah, the stuff that they can't do. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, they but they also can't entertain themselves. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's always the biggest holdup that I think that people don't understand because I saw Brad Evans is leaving Yahoo, uh, and Brad sort of like when I first started getting into it, like I used to read Brad on Yahoo, uh, and like, right. he, he always his content really like spoke to me because it was fun like he was funny it was good content like i didn't really take it's fantasy football everyone can do this work themselves especially like season long like just make your own like you can do the five minutes of research that it takes to play the right guys honestly yeah i mean the 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 thing that about season long that you would pay for would be like the best ball stuff where there's like serious money to be made. And, uh, you're, you're not like, you don't have, you just don't have the option of, of doing in season and stuff, but yeah, like season long fantasy football content has got to be entertaining and it's got to be, if you're paying for it, it's got to be people that you like, like you, you would net you, you really can't pay someone, uh, to help you with fantasy football if you do not like them. But it's like why Matthew Barry, I mean, he is, he continues to be the biggest thing in fantasy in terms of like readership, follower count, everything like that. But the reason that he got popular in the first place was one, yes, he was on ESPN, but they made the right move to hire him. But like he was, he just wrote everything in a comic tone. People did. Yeah. Dude, dude is just entertaining. Yeah. I, I don't think that people are like, Oh, Matthew Barry, he has the best advice. Like, I don't think anyone says that. Do they? I will say though, I'm in a league with him this year and his team is so much better than mine. It like we're we're in this big dynasty league together and his team is uh is just absolutely smashing. I I'm, I'm pretty pretty tilted about not being uh in the finals of the playoffs in this league. 
Well, I don't think that he would. Ne- he's like bad at fantasy. Obviously, he's pretty good. He knows what's going on. But like on a week to week basis, because I find this problem too. Like the reason that I have Sealy on the show for our ranking show is like I do my rankings and then I run them by Sealy. Like Sealy is hammering down on projections. He's you know he's doing film work, all that stuff. I only have so much time to do that because I'm doing nine shows a week. And Barry's kind of in the same thing now. He has this giant column he needs to write. He's hosting a TV show. He's doing the podcast every day. Eventually, you get to the point where your your overall analysis and like being a deep dive grinder is going to slip a little bit the more you take on and actually being a face or a content provider. Yeah, Barry though, he Barry has uh he's got like a research staff. So that's the dream, right? Yeah, the the can... dream is to get to the point of like, oh, I need to know this stat. So so you go look this up for me. He has my old guy. Did you know that? Uh Daniel Dopp no, Kyle Soppy works over there now. I think he's just on it. Oh, yeah, I did know that. At ESPN. Soppy and I, uh, Soppy worked with me for like a year and a half. Um, you know, before I, he would just be, I basically threw it out there that, you know, I need some sort of assistant to help me out with research because I don't have time to watch everything anymore. So Kyle hopped on. Now he's at ESPN. That's awesome. Like, that's a, that's a thing that he did that he didn't have to do. Like, he was jazzed up to do it because he was doing it anyway. So we'd come on, we'd chat, he'd send me over some information and like, it sucks being the guy doing the research uh, and passing it along to someone else and someone else spouting that. Like, it takes a very specific kind of person to not have that big of an ego about it. But it really worked out for him. He's doing great now. Yeah, I mean, uh, that that is like, that's even more of a grinder job than grinding out the content is grinding out like the behind the scenes stuff. But it's a different type of grind. I guess it depends on what you're into. Like, if you don't have, if you're not an egomaniac... Uh, I am an egomaniac. That's why I like being in yeah, front of the Yeah, me too. Yeah, Any, anyone yeah. who puts themselves on microphone is probably half narcissist, half egomaniac. 100%, yeah. yeah. So the last thing I'll say about content creation, if people ever want to get into it, is make sure you own your content. Yes, yeah. That's yeah, a- like so so the deal that I have right now is I don't own the distribution rights to the podcast right now, but it's my IP so like if, if I get if I get fired or if I get a different offer or whatever, I get to take it with me, which is yeah. nice. So mine is very similar. So I get my like I own my audio podcast because I've had it for forever. But like if yeah. I leave DraftKings, I'll lose all that video library. Well, something to think about. Yeah, I mean, just moving forward, like if people like it's sort of behind the scenes kind of thing, but like there's more that goes into like owning your own IP. Like if let's say like, I mean, DraftKings pays me and pays my company to like promote DraftKings. Like, I'm not an employee. I'm a contractor. But like where it's right. on their channel, if they advertise on the show, the money goes to them, not me. Uh, if I was to break it on my own. Now, obviously, they pay me for the rights to do that. So that's that's like me selling it to DraftKings and then DraftKings selling off the parts to make the money back kind of thing uh, and use it as a vehicle to promote their stuff. But if it was just me, I could be able to sell if I if everything was not on the DraftKings like YouTube channel, it was on the Pat Mayo Experience YouTube channel. I could sell my own advertising on that. And eventually, if you got big enough, it would be more than worth it to do that. The problem is building up to that point and like grinding out basically no money and i don't know if i want to go back to that now <laughs> no the, the the idea the idea of grinding for no immediate rewards sounds so 
just unbelievably tilting to me. I like, I just, I, I definitely agree with you. There's no way I could do it. Well, that brings me to my next thing is like, it's basically taking risk. Like that would be such a risky proposal on my end right now. You know, I, right. I, I have a family, I'm married now. Uh, you know, I, I have a son, uh, we plan on having more, I have a mortgage, that kind of thing. Like when I first got into this, I was working for doing like content for no money at Roto Experts in fantasy while I was like going to broadcasting school. And then I was like working a side job, like r- writing, uh, just writing like manuals and stuff like that. Cause I was a good writer and that's like just an easy paycheck and it's hard to come by like scientific, like, you know, I, I wrote one for a remote <laughs> at one point like how to use the remote like the guy that would show up in the package for the remote it was decent money and it got me by while i was you know, pursuing this other stuff but one day like when i talked to the fantasy guys they were like hey you should move to a different country and start a youtube channel i was like what does it pay they're like we don't know probably not much i was like all right let's go like two weeks later i was on a plane in my life in a hockey bag down in the states uh i probably wouldn't be able to do that now <laughs> Well, no, yeah, the the stakes are higher. The stakes are higher when you have, uh, like, the more people that you have relying on you, the more cost that your life demands of you. And, like, this is obviously something that a lot of people who listen to this podcast are going to know. But it's harder to take risks the older you get because you have – uh, you know, you got a you got a mortgage and you got a car payment and you got uh, whatever, you know, your your kids college fund. And, like you just have more and more financial responsibilities. So the the time to take financial risks is really it's it's in your 20s. Like it's 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 at my age. Well, I don't know. See, the, the, the part that I struggle with when it comes to that and like you're right, like I'm probably not going to take these giant risks because I have so much to lose now or at the time I basically had nothing to lose. And it's always much easier to you know go all in or risk whatever when you know there's no real downside to it. Uh, the, the downside is you're just where you're at right now. Uh, now, if I could lose everything, I don't want to lose everything. So it makes me more conservative in that way, uh, you know, just in overall life and especially how I approach my job and everything. But I think that's detrimental to being successful like risk taking is what puts you ahead and I, I feel like I need to there does need to be a semblance of that that I still do like something either needs to make me uncomfortable when it comes to either the show like I've been doing this like the same show for three years now like eventually people are going to get sick of it I need to figure something else out and that might take alienating part of an audience or taking a big risk something like that I, I, I don't really know well, taking risks is like there's always a calculation that goes into it because the payoff for you for changing the format for changing uh, the the destination like or, or or the distribution network that that stuff could be huge, right? And uh, there is like there there just is a, there are a lot of things that you have to there's a lot of things that you have to consider. Also, just the the way that the entire economy of the world is set up is is really set up to prevent people from taking risks though to to keep people comfortable in their station basically i suppose but i think there's a long history of looking at those who have overcome or just succeeded in general like you have your institutional wealthy people that are just going to be successful no matter what no matter what but those are very few and far between like generational wealth I mean, people we like people talk about you know, the one percent, that kind of thing. That's a very small group of people. Most of the people that have risen about to, about one per about one percent of people. I don't even think it is per the da- per the data. I would think it's less than that. Yeah, yeah, it actually probably is. But when people consider like the one percent nowadays, like 
Oh, Steve Jobs would have been considered a one percenter, but like he wasn't generational wealth. He had created generational wealth for himself and his family. So his family would now be in it, but like he would be counted in that despite not coming from that. Yeah. And I guess I guess what's interesting is that in I don't I don't actually know how much this stuff is uh goes on in Canada, but in in the United States we like we really fawn over these these uh these self-made men, these people who, you know, start companies in garages and become billionaires, but then uh our our infrastructure is really set up to uh to discourage that because social social mobility, upward upward mobility in the United States is really the most stagnant it's been uh, of like the last 60 years and uh, I, I just have always found it interesting that we praise that we praise these people so much but we make it so difficult for people to do that it's it's difficult but it's easier to do in america than almost any other place in the world easier to do in america i mean it's easier to do in america relative to places with like absolute poverty i i don't have i i i will uh one of the first times i'll ever say i don't know something on a podcast i don't actually i don't actually know what the steps would be like to be doing that in great britain in in portugal in australia like i i don't actually know what the what the differential like i don't know how much more or less difficult it would be there i mean i'm not going to claim to be an expert on this by any means but i can just tell you in canada versus the u.s and i would think that places like great britain older countries i think that's one of the advantages that the United States has over a lot of different countries in the world where, you know, 1776, I mean, that's not that old of a country. And Canada kind of gets half and half because we're 1867 in terms of our confederation, but we're part of the Commonwealth. Like we have that British and French rule in us that's still a part of our government. And like, if you go look at some of those places where there's like, even something not necessarily Great Britain, but like if you look at like India and things like the, like the caste system, like to getting that stuff out of the culture. Oh yeah, the the fact that that exists is so insane. Like but, I just but, like but, but how crazy still, is that? But there's still elements of that even in British culture. Now you can definitely like it's it's not you know a main part of society, but like even like royal rule and things like that, like. That stuff isn't ingrained in America. Like freedom is the the mantra of America. And whether people think that they're free or not or their freedoms are being restricted, it's probably the most free place you can live on the earth. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think I I guess it would depend on. No, I mean, that's probably true. That that probably is true, though. uh, I guess if you if you want to if you want to uh, bring it all the way back, uh, you know, how 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 free is anyone considering how how like owned and monitored all of our data and stuff is now like that like that's pretty wild to think about it is but that it becomes one of those things it was like after 9-11 when you went to the airport like the security that we still have in place right now is still there that you know the the always the big right-wing commentary on a lot of this stuff which i mean you and i have argued about in the past is you know the slippery slope thing you give up a little bit of freedom for that sense of security uh and most people are willing to make that trade uh and it seems like that's been happening more and more and more in every single place like people are very queasy about like the overall monitoring of things but would you rather know that they're doing it or not know that they're doing it because they were probably doing it anyway it's just now you know they're doing it 
Well, I'm actually not even, I'm not even really mad about per se the like, not, not mad, uh, but the government monitoring people's behavior and stuff, that's whatever. I think the, the much bigger concern that we should have, uh, not even as a country in the United States, but as a society is the fact that these large corporations, uh, are, are just like stealing our data just to market to us and just to sell more stuff to us. Like all of the, all of the Facebook data stuff, all the Instagram like like facebook bought instagram just to just to sell people more crap and, and just to get more interest on pe- like or not or get just get more information on people's like spending habits see i'm gonna swing that the other way i, I actually kind of i mean i don't like the theory of that but it's practical application i actually find very convenient because like if i'm talking on the phone to someone about something i want to buy and then it just pops up on my instagram feed i'm like oh gee i didn't have to go look for it i can buy it right now it's great well i mean i guess so i i guess i understand the perspective like of course yeah like that's very that's very convenient but like do you so you think i guess you just don't buy into the slippery slope that this that this leads into the creation of predictive analytics where uh companies have the ability to like uh much more accurately predict human behavior and and we just we end up in like just a a crazy science fiction world yes i mean that would be the worst pop that, that would be suboptimal as an outcome. Uh, and that's probably where it ends up going, but we're all that. I mean, hundred percent. That's where all of this ends up going, but we're like, all- I don't even think a reasonable person would disagree, but we're already on that slope. The slope is already slippery. We're already going down that. So we might as well just embrace it at this point and try to figure out the best possible outcome. The problem with this, like when it becomes malicious in intent and you know, with an election coming up, if you have all this data on people to be able to market like i don't know if you were a super left-wing person and like you get riled up over these sorts of things or if you're an extreme right-wing person or if you're like a white supremacist or you're anti-semitic sort of thing that people can start targeting that sort of information towards you because then you hide it out of the way of the people who would actually have the problem with it they would just never see it and only you would see it and it would galvanize you and then it starts making you think that the entire world thinks the same way you do and that becomes super problematic that does that does become pretty problematic i i think that uh the a lot of this conversation though about the the content that people are getting uh like exposed to a lot of it comes from youtube like i do you think that people realize like how powerful the youtube algorithm stuff is like it's it's very wild uh just like how getting your video or something inside of the suggested content like how powerful that can be but also uh youtube does a a very bad job of uh of like monitoring the kind of content that finds its way into those algorithms like that like uh like the the white supremacy movement like owes youtube like uh, a lot of a lot of thanks for pushing their stuff well the i mean youtube is the second biggest search engine on earth after google i mean they're the same one but they're slightly different in terms of how you have to rig the analytics for your stuff to show up um however it, it this is where it's a big problem so I like people like the predictive analytics of something like YouTube because you watch one video, it would lead you to believe that you want to see other videos like that. So, I mean, intuitively, that makes a lot of sense. That seems like a good thing. And I think that 
places like Facebook and Google uh, and all of these tech companies, I think they get a bad rep for like people blame them for all this stuff. And they should be blamed because it is their fault. But I think it's just a large unintended consequence. And I don't think that's what people seem to realize. Like Mark Zuckerberg didn't go out of his way to, you know, promote this or promote that that was just a but product. he he also he uh, also that, but, but that was just a product knew this stuff this was happening though i i don't know how much uh, yes you're right but i think they found it out so late they couldn't change it so he just rolled with it <laughs> well also they're they they um like the facebook people they know that their platform is being used by various political various political groups left and right not calling any politician or group out now for for straight up like lies and like like straight up false political advertising stuff that could never get on tv and they know that and they they did not care to do anything about it until uh, there was, you know, uh, any, any kind of upright, like, you know, fear, fear, fear about it, if you will. But how do you even go about monitoring that? Well, I'm sure that just like anything else, they like the, it's not like you can just, I'm sure that, uh, if you're, if you're going to pay to have something distributed across Facebook, someone at the company who was employed by it had to watch it. Right now I would just assume that's all automated. I mean, if and even if it is automated, if we if we are give if we are granting that Facebook is probably the second most technologically powerful, I mean, maybe the third, depending on how you rank them with Amazon, uh, the second or third most technologically powerful company in the world, you got to think they have some sort of ability to analyze the contents of a video, uh, you know, via via algorithm, via some kind of machine learning. I, I would right? think so too, and it seems like that's what they're starting to do now. But I don't think they. The reason that it ended up becoming so problematic to begin with is because Facebook became a news source for people. And Facebook was never intended to be a news source by anyone reasonable right. or the creator. So this really catches you with your pants down once it starts being utilized in this way. And, I mean, for as big as the shitbags are who took advantage of this stuff, it was really savvy on their part. It was, I mean, yeah, but like, uh, you, I, I think that when a criminal does something criminal, very often you, you, I mean, the, yes, you punish the criminal, but you also have to look at the loophole that exists that allowed the criminal to get away with whatever it is that they get away with. Because I, I think oftentimes when, when something like this happens, the, the, the bigger fault lies with the person who left the loophole open as opposed to the person who, uh, you know, swam through the loophole. Sure. Uh, there's that consequence of it now, but like even when we think about like Facebook trying to update their practices and standards, there becomes mm-hmm. like a, a two pronged problem. One is people think that there's just a switch that you flick that oh all of a sudden all this content is gone. That's just not how it works. Like there's nothing in place just to do that. That's going to take time to figure out how to best monitor this stuff, how to keep stuff off, and still keep your business going at the same time. And number two is who is the arbiter of what is what you should see in what is what you shouldn't see like me i am the arbiter you see there you go so if it's you who's doing it and let's say you are a you know crazy off the uh off the charts left winger like yourself uh and there's something Mm -hmm. that comes up that is problematic right wing and racist very clear let's get rid of that but what if it's something just slightly right-leaning that shows the positives of a capital like how capitalism because of like because of disaster capitalism in Peru 
for example, uh, how you know, they ended up with hyperinflation in the late 80s. And then throughout the course of the 90s, they were able to build everything back up. And you're like, well, I don't I think that's a bit too right leaning for my taste. I'm going to get rid of that, too. But that's just like fact. <laughs> well, I mean, I I so, yes, here, here's how I would and go I, with that. And, I would and, say. And hold on. I'm just not I'm not saying that you would say that's not content that you couldn't use. But I could see that then becoming politicized as well. I mean, yes, certainly if you put a person in charge of this left, right, center, whatever, the the centrist person, they just bans anything that's too far either side. The left-leaning person, clearly, they, they the left-leaning person has their linearity on the right uh, closer to the center than the centrist does. And, and you get in a situation where uh, it, it just, a, a lot of things get censored that do not need to get censored. I, I, I completely take your point there. And then then it's completely different, like a, a big thing, too, where Facebook and even Twitter and all of these social media platforms are worldwide platforms. So what is considered one thing in like, do we put American standards on everything? Like, I'm sure that the discourse in, I don't know, Bolivia or Russia or Kazakhstan or Lithuania or Chad is completely different than the discourse you would have in the United States. So then you would need different places to monitor content in different countries. Like this is a very vast operation. That's not easy to figure out. It is. It is a very vast operation. And it is, uh, I mean, many of these problems, of course, they, the, the solutions to them, the uh, like, just even the, like the morality or the the um like the the ethical nature of uh of anything related to censorship i think is you know this that's like a 10-hour podcast right yeah and it's probably needs to be done by people far smarter than us yeah way smarter than you and i so here's one for you that i think we can weigh in on which current athletes are going to be the best broadcasters I, I that's a to, that's a very interesting one. Uh, have, LeBron LeBron is obviously going to be probably the best on TV of anyone ever. Well, he'll be he'll replace Shaq on the TNT show or the or Barkley on the TNT show. I would imagine. Yeah, I mean he's already great on TV. Really, he's not though. Like LeBron doesn't have a personality. He's good. He's good on uh, his HBO show. I've never actually watched it, but it feels like he legitimately has nothing to say. Uh, I mean, he is except for I love China. Oh, man, Uh, he uh, he uh, I think he's a pretty media savvy dude. And I think that he's in general very well spoken. And uh, yeah, the China thing, not not a great look, Bron. Not not a great look, buddy. But But, yeah, I I, I think my answer to who would be great on TV would definitely be him. See, I don't think so. I think that he's a bit too well-spoken. He's a bit too calculated. Those people don't really work on those. Yeah, those people don't come off as. Yeah. Like I can a, see that. There's a reason that Berkeley's so good, and like in Shaq's like "Don't give a shit" nature is really good too. Um, but I was I was just thinking football only, and the two that I have are Philip Rivers, who I think is going to be amazing if he ends up trying to be a commentator, and I think that Richard Sherman's going to be awesome. Sherman will be really, oh, uh, Russell Westbrook. There's there's a guy who will be really good because he won't he won't care. He will be the exact opposite. He will be very Barkley esque if he ever. I mean, I don't even know if he would be interested in doing TV. He might just retire from basketball, and we might never see him again. Yeah, that's the same thing with Rivers. I don't know if he would actually do it. It's like Mickelson would be awesome on golf commentary. It's just why would he ever do that? 
to oh to, i mean to pay off his gambling debts i mean uh, did you see that uh twitter thing that got released of like the highest paid people uh in sports over like the past 15 years or something like that 20 years no uh-uh Oh, wait, no, yes, I did. Yes, I did. Yeah, the sliding graph. Yeah, like Phil has basically been inside the top 10 of highest paid athletes for the past 25 years. The guy the guy is, doesn't have gambling debts. <laughs> Isn't Wasn't he like under investigation by the feds for a while? Yeah, for insider trading, he paid all the money back. But that's just like classic rich guy move. Like, that's not because he was poor. <laughs> I mean, also, there's like, there's definitely this element of like Phil, like, is there ever, like, is he a guy who's ever like fine saying enough? To the money? Like, why would he not just take more money? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's just good. But the there eventually becomes a point where, like, he gets paid all this money because he plays golf. He's still a golfer, and now, now that's running the end of its course. Maybe, <laughs> not, not, not a very good one anymore. Maybe he won last year. I think people forget that. He won. Pebble he did. Beach. Yeah. What the the waste management? Yeah, he won Pebble Beach. Pebble Beach. Yeah. But like he like and his maybe this is all a move to go into broadcasting. But basically, since the Masters this year, like his aunt, whoever's running his social team deserves an award. He, uh, I mean, he's one of the like of all the golfers who are on social media right now. He probably is getting like the most W's from it. Yeah, he's funny. Like he's insightful. He's funny. Uh, the, the content that he chooses to put out is hilarious. It'd be, it'd be like saying, like, your, your point about LeBron being a good broadcaster, would be like, what if you put Tiger in the booth? Like, how interesting is Tiger really going to be? He's going to not say what he thinks. Uh, he's not going to reveal yeah. stuff about himself. Like, that's, that's not what you want. You want someone Yeah, that's boring. You want someone who's purely candid. Like, Faldo is just, like, kind of a dickhead, and that's great. That's perfect. Like, I hated Johnny Miller, but all he wanted to do was just, like, berate everyone the entire time and talk about how great he was and how he would make this shot no problem. Like, there's, there is cachet to that, and there's fun about that. That it's not just, like, well... Da, 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 da. Like, and we know that's not where media and sports media is going. It's going to be more candid. It's going to be more fun. And Phil seems to be at least the one golfer who embodies that. Well, there are a lot of golfers who embody it. They just are not popular enough for anyone to care. In a way, like who else, like who would you put on the level of Phil in terms of pure fun at this moment? Like, I mean, there are, there are guys who are way down. Like, I think, like, Keith Mitchell is, like, a really, like, fun dude. But, like, no, like, he's got, like, 10,000 Twitter followers. No one cares. Well, there, there's also, like, a thing, too. Like, in golf, like, if we talk about, like, who's going to be the next broadcaster, I talk about Rivers because he's, like, 38. I don't know how old Sherman is. I assume he's, like, 32, 33. They're basically at the end of their careers. Phil's, like, 51 now or 50. Like, he's inching towards the end of his career on the PGA tour. Like he'll still play in the masters every single year. He'll still play in the British open every single year. But like, do you think it's more, he's not, he's not grinding 30 events a year anymore. No. And he's not going to go to the champions tour and grind 20 events a year either. I think he would probably do broadcasting over that. Yeah. I mean, unless he, unless he could get sick action on the course from some of the other uh, championship guys, he probably could. And he would go dominate the senior tour. Like initially. Would he be better than, uh, who's the, the old German dude who always wins. Oh, Bernhard. Bert. Yeah. Would he, is he better than that guy? Oh yeah, for sure. Like Phil is always like, uh, I mean, Bernhard, do you know how old Bernhard Langer is now? He's gotta be in his mid sixties. 62. Yeah. 
That dude, that that's very old. Like that's quite an, like the fact that he made that run at the Masters and has been so consistently good on the Champions Tour. Like no one cares about the Champions Tour, so no one thinks about it. But like he's an old dude putting in like consistent high level work. I mean, he is like he is like the Tiger Woods of the Champions Tour. Yeah, he has forty wins on the Champions Tour. That's <laughs> that's great. Okay, here's here's a question for you. Would you rather have? Would you rather be? like a mid-tier PGA Tour professional, or would you rather be the Bernie Langer of the Champions Tour where you're just, you're printing money, you only have to play for three days, and you are just dunking on people? I'd rather be Langer. Yeah, I, I would way rather be Langer than Benny Ann, for sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. Although Benny Ann makes bank. like He makes more money than Langer does. Well, just because there's so much more money on the PGA Tour. And I mean, I don't even know, but I bet Benny has like like media and sponsorship stuff back in South Korea. Sure, but like it's weird. Like there's a weird audience for the championship tour. Like, I mean, it's it's going to be like us. I don't I don't think I've ever watched a stroke of it. Sometimes it just comes on Golf Channel. I'll be like, oh, yeah, I remember. I remember Scott McCarron. Like, but yeah, in 30 years from now, when Keith Mitchell is on the champions tour, you're like, oh yeah, yeah I'll, like, I'll I probably know, watch. I know these guys. I don't know any of the new guys. I might as well watch the guys that I know, but like the weird sponsorships they get are like private jet sponsorships. <laughs> I mean, that just, the, the sponsorships, the sponsorships in golf are just overall, they're crazy. Yeah. And it, it kind of comes back to that same thing I was talking about with content creation, like owning your own IP as like an internet person. Uh, it's, when you looked at the top athlete list of earners, it's all individuals who own their own likeness. They're not a part of a team. It's all tennis players, boxers, golfers. You know, you'll have your Ronaldos or your Messies that end up popping up. But generally speaking, it's like Michael Schumacher, Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, Floyd Mayweather. Like those are the athletes that make money. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, I wonder, I wonder, um, moving forward, how many guys are going to try and do what Spencer Dinwiddie did, which is try and inside of that, um, inside of that larger framework, try and create something on their own that people can invest in. That's just so complicated. I, I just don't feel like that ends up becoming the norm. No, it, it, I mean, and a lot of guys, um, a lot of guys just don't care enough, right? Like they're, they're happy with the money that they get. Yeah, especially in basketball now, it's a lot of money. It's not quite. It's not quite. Uh, it's not quite these crazy baseball contracts, but it's good money. Well, it, it's funny. Like the crazy baseball contracts are one thing. People complain about the money that baseball players get all the time, but people, it, because baseball has lost its standing uh, as a gigantic sport. I mean, it, baseball exists in other sports but almost like the nfl it's a purely american product i know it's big in japan and korea but like the mlb in general most of the money is coming from the united states and people forget that just because it's out of the public consciousness in terms of like a it's still a major sport but like when we're talking about the nfl like basketball has clearly taken the place at number two over mlb but the live rights to baseball is a fucking print fest in terms of money like it makes so much money yeah, because uh, a lot of people just like have it on bars, have it on like it, it, it and it, and there's 162 get well, I guess for the home broadcast, there's 81 games. No, because the home broadcast will still have every they travel. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it is. It's huge. So you get 162 games per year. 
and let's times that by three let's say for three hours and that seems to be like on the low end uh so oh big i yeah that's big time low so so let's just say there's 500 hours of baseball per year on each of the, and they're each localized to the stations that's why you see a lot of teams own their own stations and they're worth a lot of money because that's 500 hours of live tv that you can sell advertising on that you don't need to pay for the rights for if you own the channel and own the team at the same time uh and what is the one thing that still gets a lot of viewers and people actually pay for on tv in terms of advertising live rights yeah it's sports there's a reason that like the golden globes and the emmys and the grammys still exist and people pay attention to them because it's a live tv show and you have to watch it at the time so the biggest problem which i find really funny is for years and years and years everyone just kind of hammers over the head players don't get paid enough players deserve a 50 percent split of all the revenue da 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 and everyone agrees with that. And then the moment that actually kind of starts to happen, well, all these guys are overpaid. It's ridiculous. It's, it's just funny how that works. Well, I mean, the only person who ever would care about someone else getting overpaid is a dickhead, right? Like, who cares what other people, like, you know? Like, I mean, if you want to be mad about corporations making, like, uh, like trillions of dollars not paying taxes, sure. But, like, I've never – I guess the, the thing I – is I've never understood – why the average sports fan would ever side with the management over the labor, right? Well, the the only like, thing, the only way that I can see that is if you're a fan of a baseball team, let's say, and it's not the Yankees or Red Sox or whoever can spend whatever. I assume this happens, and I, I can't speak to like European club football, but you can a little bit. I'm sure this happens too. But like, if I'm a fan of the Blue Jays, which I am, and they should not have a cap on how much they can spend because they print money. Yes. A, they are a team that owns the team, owns the television network, owns the radio station, and owns the stadium in which they play. And they own the like digital rights to them too because the company that owns them provides the digital content. It's one of like the two biggest companies in Canada. Either way, they yeah. should not have a budget, but they do. So they can only spend so much money that when they make a bad signing for a guy, like if they pay someone $30 million a year and they suck, almost like what the Padres are going through right now. You pay Machado all that money. It doesn't really work out. People don't like it. Then you get mad that like, because we paid this guy so much money, we can't pay good players now. <laughs> So that's reasonable. That's reasonable, but you don't you don't get you don't get mad at the guy for getting paid. You get mad at the front office for making the the idiot choice, right? Yes, but that translates into people being like, "He's not worth that much money. I can't believe he makes that much money." That that's like where the fan anger ends up coming through, and it's not so the, that that actually is fault that, for getting paid so much money. <laughs> that actually happens in like a way more severe way in European club football, because outside of like the top six teams in the world, probably if you're paying a dude a ton of money and he really sucks, uh, it not like, because there is no salary cap and, and the tickets are, or like the, the team wages are actually like a significant portion of like the club income. If you sign a guy for a lot of money and he sucks uh, like it, 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 like it, it can have like an impact on like the economy of the town that the team is in. Like it, it is like, uh, there, there is actually a, a very great documentary, uh, about this club called Sunderland, uh, that plays in, in the Northern part of England. It's called Sunderland till I die. And they actually go into this, this guy named Jack Rodwell got like the biggest contract in the history of the club. And he, he like couldn't play 
Like he just was so bad. He was hurt and then he couldn't play. And, and uh, the team like tried to like talk him into like a buyout or whatever. And he was like, nope, not having it. And they got like relegated down two tiers and they're losing all this money. And like they're, the club is laying people off and he's like, nope, I'm good. Just uh, pay me my money. All right, I think that'll almost conclude part one of this show. The the last thing I did want to say, and we'll we'll bring this up. I, I was DMing with you. I was like, you want to know a hack for podcasts? Change your skip thirty button ahead to skip sixty seconds ahead. And you had a different take, dude. I well, no, I I swear on my phone the the button is skip fifteen. It's yeah, I'm looking at it. Oh, it's skip back 15, skip forward 30. Yeah, so I cha- you can go into your like podcast settings and change it. I changed the skip 30 ahead to skip 60 ahead and skip the back to skip 30 back. Where okay, where do I where do I find that setting? Now I got to figure out how I did this. I believe you go into settings. <laughs> Just over like settings I- settings podcast. I'm here. Oh, yep, I see it. So settings podcast sk- roll down. It's the third from the bottom. Skip buttons, and you have the option of forward ten seconds, fifteen seconds, thirty, forty five, sixty, and the same for skip back. I find that works out better because I mean I, I shouldn't say this as someone who who's who's doing thirty second ad breaks. Uh, well, I, maybe we can close with this then. Uh, I experimented around, and companies are very hesitant to do it, so it works better if like I try to get people on to do it. But the ten second ad read, but instead of one, yeah, I mean. T- sec- the, the 10 second ad read works out perfectly. It's like those five second ones on YouTube that you basically just say what it is, what the promo code is, whatever. And you say it like three or four times a show. Uh, no, and, then, and no one skips that and no one's mad about it. Well, no, by the time anyone tries to skip it, you're already back to the show. Or if you do skip it, you're like halfway through a conversation. You're like, what the fuck is this? Then you rewind to it and then listen to it. I think that's the optimal way to do it outside of... Just mixing the ads into the show. Like, I get these ad reads all the time. And they're like, you need to put this in exactly halfway through the show. If you do not put it in halfway through the show and read it verbatim, like, we are going to be furious. We are never going to sponsor you again. Uh, We're going to revoke, like, the money. It's like, no one, people are just skipping this. If I just casually talked about, I don't know, what the fuck is the one I was doing? Like, upstart for debt consolidation. Like, I could make that a two-minute part of the show where we just talk about it. And it would be fine. Like the most success I've ever had, uh, two ad reads. Uh, one was for Harry's Razors when I used to have Cam on the show. And I just, he didn't realize I was doing an ad read. And I just brought it up to him. And he basically just sold it as we were going along. <laughs> He's like, oh, I-, I could use some ra- razors, mayo. And my razors, they're always going out. I'm like, oh, you should, get, you should get Harry's. He's like, what the hell is that? And I would just like read off the page and tell him what it was. It was great integrated content. Or the other one, what's that uh, lame... Uh, fantasy trophies place that used to advertise with everyone oh i know exactly the one you're talking about i shows how well the advertising worked i don't remember the name of it at all whatever it was they advertised with us once but i think it really helped them uh, even though i can't remember because this was like four or five years ago i i didn't tell feinberg that we were going into an ad read because i just record them after the fact now instead of trying to like do them live in the show uh and then like cutting around them so i just i was like hey jeff does uh does anyone in your league uh would you want to get a trophy for winning your fantasy league he goes no because i'm not a fucking loser <laughs> <laughs> we left pretty it good and it was great it was like the most traction an ad ever got on the show like bill burr does that at the beginning of his it just basically trashes the company but it works out perfectly because you actually remember what it is yeah i mean anything anything to pull people out of the okay i'm gonna go i'm gonna go read my text i'm gonna go start doing emails right now while this ad read plays like i'm like just gonna tune all the way out is is good 
Yeah, because the hardest part is actually getting people to listen to the ad. So if it's a part of the show, they're going to listen to it. Yeah, the the five-second ad read, I think, is probably better because just people don't have the time to tune out. But yeah, working it into the show, also good. That's also, that takes more time. Like for all More people, effort. For all people know, Tim Andrikus is just bought and paid for by corporations to talk about. Like, my show is secretly sponsored by Subway and KFC and stuff like this. And the, the advertising that they've bought is just to have Cust on the show. I mean, that could be a conspiracy theory. <laughs> It would certainly make more sense for Tim's takes to be those takes uh, if if he was bought and sold by somebody. But imagine that that's what it was. Like he was just bought and sold by like five or six or ten corporations, like big corporations. And as integrated product placement, he was just a guest on my show every week. And this is just the weird stuff that he talks about. Because no one would ever think how much How much money would that even be worth to a company? I don't even know. It'd probably be worth a lot. He should, Tim should try and, Tim should try and, uh, Tim should try and sell himself as that then. Tim is not savvy enough to be able to figure out how to monetize that. No, uh, uh-uh. that would require me being his agent in order to do that. But like the amount of talk that we like legit talk about subway on the show, a place that I haven't been to in five years. <laughs> I, I mean, just like, think of all the food that exists in the world. Like, yeah. why are, why are you, why, why would you eat that? I, you know, I mean, the the reason I would ever go to Subway is if I was like starving and it was close, like, and I didn't want to eat like deep fried food. That would be the reason to go to Subway. I guess if I if I'm starving and there's a Subway, I got to think that there's something else also like right next to it that I would rather eat. I'm not out on Subway because it's like disgusting or anything like that. Like it, it's fine, but I can get better. Yeah, food. that's like, the nice the nicest thing you could say about it is that it's fine. I'd say it's pretty average. Like I, I'm not mad that I get like a sweet onion teriyaki at at Subway. Like that's a, a fine snack to have or like a lunch to have. It's just not what I would actively go pursue. I I uh, yeah no it certainly would not be something and like I live in an I live like right by a place with like a bunch of like actually like local restaurants and stuff so I just it would be very hard for me to see eating that well it's also quick too like if you need to get in and out of somewhere it is very survive. fast yeah so there there yeah. is the convenience of that too anyway that's part one of this two part show so Merry Christmas Eve to everyone or if you're listening to this after the fact then. Happy Christmas. Happy New Year. I hope everything's going well. Stay safe this holiday season. I told you about the giveaways at the beginning and rating and reviewing both this show and Davis's show is the currency that we deal in. So please uh, go do that. Uh, The giveaway for 75 DK bucks is subscribe to the Pat Mayo Audio Experience or Pat Mayo Experience Audio Podcast. Five-star review, DraftKings handle, something you like about the show. And part two will be coming out Christmas Day on Davis's feed, The Take Cast. You can search that to find the show or if you hit the description of this podcast or video you can find it in there just very quickly to go hit it on too so davis i'll see you tomorrow all right all right see you tomorrow man i hope that uh i hope that at least half the people that listen to this come on over with us that'd be nice it'd be it'd be great promotion for both of us so to everyone out there you know go over to davis's show and we'll continue this conversation see you then experience experience